And we are back. Welcome to the Biblos Network. We are so glad that you have come to join us to, to celebrate the things of God, living for God, and all the good things that come from the Word of God. We have had a great time here this week, great services. Um, we're working our way through the summer into the school year. We've kind of made it through camp meeting season, conference season, and for apostolics, that's a big deal. People are looking at school. They're looking at um, the holiday season coming up, and that's kind of where we are. I'm sure that's where you are. I hope it finds you filled with blessing, filled with favor, learning and growing. Um, Here at Biblos, we definitely want to promote a love for the Word of God and the things of God. So we're glad you're here. We're excited you can be with us this week. We have a very special treat. I have a dear friend of mine here with me in the studio. He preached for us this Sunday and Tuesday and of course, we had to get him into the into the studio to talk about life and everything God is doing in his life and his family and his church family. And so, I'm glad to have Miles Young with me, Pastor Miles Young from Elk Grove, Elk Grove, California. It's good to have you, Brother Young. Man, it's exciting to be here. I've had a great time this weekend, and now here on on Biblos, this is fun. Absolutely, <clears throat> you got your family with you. Yeah. So the whole tribe. Yeah, it's been a it's been a neat run. It just kind of worked out after a convention and then headed to a wedding. And uh, so it just kind of worked out together. So it's been great. For those of you that might not know, uh, WPF Life, maybe you're from another organization or you're independent or, or whatever. Um, we just had our summit conference in Pigeon Forge, um, Tennessee at the Lacante Center. We had a great time, a great outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And we're not that far. Durham's not that far. So we just took advantage of the moment. I've been trying to get Brother Young here for a little while, but we finally were able to work out the date. So he's here. He's got his family. Um, that was amazing. It's so good to have you with your family, and you have a grandbaby. I do. It's the it's the best life yet. You you got, you got to get one. <laughs> you better believe it. Well, I promise you, Jackie is absolutely <laughs> feeling that way. We just got to get Joseph and Shai feeling that way. There you go. Um, so what? So what's it like being Papa? Is, well, is, are, are you Papa or are you Big Bear? You're Big Bear at this point. <laughs> I, I figure it, it's probably going to come out like blah, blah, blah. yeah. You know that you become whatever they name you. So you do. we'll see what happens. Big yeah. Bear. What, what does it feel like? Well, I told somebody the best way I know to describe it is it's as if you're sitting in the stands and your son just hit a home run. That feeling, except you get to hold the home run in your hand. Oh, that's good. So, Well, it's a new phase of life. You know, my brother Joel, he just had a grandbaby. And actually, my niece and my nephew-in-law were here with little Alette. And Alette was with Echo. That's right. We had like a family reunion. Yeah, this whole thing. They're not going to remember that. But the day will come when we will pull the pictures out. Yeah, and it's amazing. Grandfathers are getting much younger. And cooler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my biggest conundrum right now is what am I gonna what am I gonna be? Papa, Papa, Grandpa, my brother's grandpa Urshan, which is very <laughs> weird. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway. 
it's a good time. It's a good time to be alive right yes, now. Yes, it is. Okay. Well, you and I, we go back a long ways. Um, we were doing stuff together back in the San Diego days. Yeah. Which, back in the, what was what, that? It was the 90s. Yeah. That was back right after Noah got off the ark. <laughs> that is so funny. Okay. So 91 was 30 years ago. Okay. Wrap your brain around that. Yeah, and I was in San Diego of 95 to 98. And that was kind of kind of where our, our ministry paths crossed. So I started Fort Myers in 98. So this was right before we went to start the church. Yeah. And um, somewhere in there, Joel and I came to Elk Grove. And we preached. You were, were you the youth pastor at the time? Were you the pastor? No, I was transitioning. Um, I had, to my recollection, it's all a little fuzzy. I had recently left, I had left San Diego, Santee area after planting the church there and was kind of in and out of Sacramento evangelizing, trying to figure out where exactly we were going to wind up. And y'all were there, you and Joel were there in Revival at the Rock. Mm-hmm. And I happened to be there that same time. It was right after that, that July the 1st of 1998. Okay. We, we went there as co-pastor. Isn't that something? So that means we were probably there 96, 97, maybe. Something yeah. Like that. Something like that. Yeah. And and we would preach for uh Jim Larson there in San Diego and you were starting your church mm-hmm. and you'd come over and we'd go out yeah. to eat and we'd laugh and talk and we, we were kids. Yeah. And you were a young minister, you were I was a kid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And you were launching out, and that was a big time. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. I look back; life was pretty simple. Mm-hmm. There was, it was. There had been a church there. Pastor had died. Long story. Basically, a building was all that was there, and three elderly people, two of which moved, and the one remaining member fell off a ladder, broke his back. Oh wow! And that was how we started. And, but life was pretty simple in that um, I had to work a job. We lived in the Sunday school room and we didn't have two pennies to rub together. But when you don't have pennies to rub together, you don't have a lot of bills. You don't have a lot of stuff because you can't, you can't afford to go get it. And life was pretty much get up, go to work, come home, teach a Bible study, knock doors, witness, have church, get up and do it all over again. Yeah. And in those moments, that was where faith was built in my life. And when I look back at, now I'm 53, God's blessed us tremendously, but the miracle stories of God's provision and keeping, when I look back to those moments, they're not from big church ministry. They're from those moments where it was, you know, mm-hmm. there was nothing else except God. Yeah. And that was where he proved himself to me, where I learned that this is, this is real. 
So I believe that ministers that are called, <coughs> people that are called by God to God's purpose, will go through a wilderness. Absolutely. Time. That's the time where God takes you out of Egypt, out of your comfort zone, out of what you have grown familiar with. He'll boil it out of you. And that will be your proving ground. Um, so he does it with Moses. <clears throat> Moses is there in the wilderness 40 years, and he finds himself. God speaks to him. This is, um, you know, all through Scripture, we see people go through these proving grounds where God pulls them out, deals with them, and many times sends them back in or wherever his purpose takes them. Um, my proving ground was Fort Myers. It was evangelism. It was Roatan. Places I thought would be my life wound up not being my life. If you would have told me I would have wound up in Durham, North Carolina, pastoring the church that Bishop Godier founded, mm-hmm. I would have said, you're crazy. Yeah, You were in San Diego. You were planting a church. You've planted more than one church, haven't you? Yeah, we've, we've been blessed. God's really helped us. Uh, we were there. They've, two of them have been restarts. Uh, the church in Oakland, uh, Dire Straits, uh, restarted that one. Then we planted a church in the Roseville, Rockland area, now pastored by Anthony Pizarro. And uh, and honestly, you know, looking back, those are the those are the things of of fulfillment. Yeah. When you see something birth, you know, it's that same feeling. A grandparent, you're looking, you're watching that thing birth. Yeah. It's surreal to see it come to pass, and and to realize God, I was involved with that. God did mm-hmm. that, and I I was a part of it. Mm-hmm. It's where you see the gospel works. You know, you, you you get lost in the success of ministry sometimes, um, where the choir singing, the youth groups thriving. You know, you've got extracurricular activities of of parachurch ministries and gymnasiums and dinners on the ground and things mm-hmm. that that are just part of of success in church ministry. But when, when it's raw and just you and God and you begin to sow the seed yeah, and watch it begin to grow. Yeah. And it, it really is amazing. And I look back, that was where, that was where God formed in me. It was, it was doctrine that became mine and not just something I'd grown up in. Let's go back a ways because church planting and missiology is in your blood. Mm-hmm. Now you have studied missiology. Yeah, you you can articulate di- the dynamics and the principles of missiology on a very high level, on a graduate level. But your dad, your family, your forefathers—they were all dynamic ministers in their own right. They were church planters. Your dad planted a church in his 70s and did more than a lot of guys will ever do. Yeah, grandfather. My grandfather started a church in his late 70s in Winslow, Arizona. And his name? Uh, William Curtis Young. William Curtis William Young. William Curtis Young. Okay. Uh, I, I come from uh, my father's side. Both both my grandparents were preachers. Um, interesting fact, both grandfathers pastored at a different time, obviously, 
the same church in Walnut Hill, Louisiana. Uh, <laughs> now that's not something everybody could say. Yeah. yeah. And as I remember, this will this will show how old I was. I still remember the church had an outhouse. Wow. Yeah. And uh, so that was an interesting thing. But uh, my father's father was um, old time Pentecost first generation who had been saved. He would he was a fighter for money. He would fight on the weekends and like a prize fighter. Yeah, they, yeah, he would fight, uh, and uh, just a scrapper. He got saved, married my my dad's mom. Uh, they got married, and she was from a very successful uh, family. What time period would that have been? That would have been. Uh, man, that would have been. You're talking early Pentecost. Yeah, early Pentecost. Uh, my dad's eighty one. I'm guessing that puts them back in the 40s. 40s? 30s and 40s. Okay. I've never really thought about that. Uh, but as time went by, they were from a different generation where um, there wasn't a lot of longevity thought of. Mm-hmm. Everybody was expecting the rapture of the church, um, and it was plant, get it going. There was no retirement thought. There was no. Yeah, yeah. It was plant another church. And so my grandfather was a church planner throughout uh, East Texas uh, and Louisiana. And then as a kid, I grew up, my grandparents were missionaries to Australia, the Philippines, India, uh, the South Pacific, uh, pastored in Alaska, a little home missions church. So, and so from my dad's family, there was heavy missional influence. My, his, his brother, Nathaniel, pastors in Louisiana now, uh, became a missionary to uh, the South Pacific Islands. His son, Lee Young, became a missionary to New Zealand, who actually died of cancer on the mission field. Mm. And uh, then my sister served two or three different terms with AIM uh, in the United Pentecostal Church in uh, Scotland and the UK. And so mission has been a heavy part of our family. And then my father served as the uh, district director of missions for the Louisiana District of the United Pentecostal Church. So I grew up, missionaries and church planners were, that was just part of our life. Well, I've been with you in Turkey. I've been with you in um, Central America. We've been, you know, several places overseas and done missional work together. And I can attest to the fact that you don't go anywhere but that you're talking to somebody about God. You're you're talking to a cab driver. You're talking to somebody, making a connection somewhere. So that is how you're wired. That comes from your apostolic lineage and heritage, which is they're church planners, they're they're mission mission minded people. Mm-hmm. And so here you are and you have two children and um it's it's continuing on. Yeah, my son actually married the daughter of the missionary, the Hemises, to uh, Liverpool, England. Uh, and I think we're missing something. I think that I think that we are brought into moments of opportunity. One one idea is that there's some translations of the scripture where he says, "Go into all, all the world and teach us, uh, teach." and baptize. One translation that in one of our missiology classes years ago we heard was, as you are going, as you are going, make disciples. Ah. 
as you are going. And I have I have discovered that cab rides, bus rides, plane rides, the going, the going. As you're in those moments, you have time with a cab driver. You have time in a seat next to someone. Mm. Watch for moments. You know, you don't even have to push it. You don't have to create it. There will be moments that you are brought into connection with people that that speak. I, I've had interesting. I've had some interesting things happen. One of the most unique is <clears throat> after my son's wedding. Um, we had we had gone back to London, flew into the uh, or, or took a train into one of the stations there, and then had to catch a cab to the hotel where we were going to be staying for a couple of days before we came home. And when I got in the car, uh, the cab, you know, one of the typical English cabbies, as I got in, I noticed I could hear music playing in the background, and it was Christian music. Well, that's all I needed. And I, I look for those things when I'm in a conversation. And so I pressed in, I pushed in. And before it was over, that cab driver would not allow, allow me to pay for the trip. And it was like a 30-minute uh, ride. But before it was over, we pulled over, and I began to pray with that man. And it was a sign to me that you always hear, what well, Europe doesn't want the gospel. Mm. I found that to not be true at all. Right. But we have to look for moments. And in moments that we don't think, maybe the very moment it happens. Yeah. That's interesting. That is fascinating, actually. I I know why people say that about Europe, because having been there, I can readily see that... Um, People that come from what would be on a world scale wealth and education, they've become jaded. They have been through not only reformationist dynamics, but they have also seen hypocrisy at high levels. They've been victimized by organized religion. They've gotten money. They've gotten more educated. There's a toxicity in mainstream European culture mm -hmm. and even an antagonism towards faith. But we're seeing several different things. First of all, we are seeing revival break out among people that don't care about any of that. You'll frequently find a Jamaican church mm -hmm. in London that is just blowing the doors off in mm -hmm. revival. Or you'll have a Filipino church. The Filipinos are going to wind up being the key <laughs> to world revival. I mean, they're, they're, they're naming servant girl. <laughs> yeah, they are. They're everywhere, and they're full of faith, and they're beautiful, precious people that love God. Um, so there is absolutely revival and that aggressive atheism is being pretty substantially challenged by Islam. Yeah. I mean, Islam and its militancy is literally decimating, uh, places over there to where they're just giving way before it. They can't stop it. Um, and so it's just interesting to see all those dynamics play out. There is revival. Absolutely. In those countries. I think we're seeing a dynamic, okay? Uh, I, I, I did four years at Fuller in the missiological department and, and currently 
in Corbin University in Oregon, <clears throat> and wrapping up a doctorate. Yes, and spent spent an enormous amount of research in in missiology, <clears throat> and the idea that uh, the missio day, the mission of God, is can we find where God is working, which which thrives under the idea of find and facilitate, find what God's doing, let's facilitate that. But one of the things that is so important to recognize is before we give up on Europe, before we give up on, you know, everybody's talking about how the uh, the, the United States is no longer a Christian nation. That should not disturb us. Yeah. Because maybe now we'll recognize it's a mission field. Yeah. Okay. But but here's what we this is a key revelation for me is Paul is talking and he says God hath made of of one blood all nations mm-hmm. and then he says something that is that is often missed he said God hath determined mm-hmm. he's determined before the times and the bounds mm. of their habitation wow which in Plain modern English is he knows who's going to live where and what city limits and when they would live there. And then he explains further, Paul said, that they would seek the Lord. Mm-hmm. I know the rock and roll group in the 80s wrote, we built this city on rock and roll. Mm-hmm. No. Cities are together because God is bringing people together. And I believe if we see cities as opportunities to touch the world, mm. And so you have, you will have, it's it, it's unbelievable to me. So I I go to I go to Liverpool, the Hemuses, for example, preach for them. Their church is full of immigrants that have come from all over the world, from Africa, the Middle East, that are coming to Liverpool receive the Holy Ghost. In my church, I'm watching Nigerians, Cameroonians, Filipinos. They're coming to Sacramento. Then I then I go to Central America. And I'm watching people come in from other countries. Then I go to Norway, Brother Yuri Sanguesa. His church is, has, has got people from all over the world. And it's almost like from all over the world, they're coming into these urban communities. Yeah. And they're hearing the gospel. And we, we, we can't overlook that God's working in these seasons and... I just feel like they're coming, and then from that is going to spawn worldwide revival. There's no doubt. So that that dynamic, this, and you've preached this before about the city, a theology mm-hmm. of the city. There's no doubt God is is using that, and the, you mentioned the the times and the boundaries. So you're literally dealing with time and space. Mm-hmm. Boundaries, habitations, that's space. You know, there is a school of thought that teaches that when Jesus said he was Alpha, Omega, beginning, ending, first, and last, he was establishing preeminence in every facet of the cosmos. Um, Alpha and Omega is the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. So in every word, in every literature, in every tongue, he's the God of language. He's the God of communication. Mm-hmm. He is first and last in that. He's alpha, he's omega. 
first and last is spatial. Um, there's a there's a first, there's a last. You can go to the place that is first to you, a place that is last to, to you, and so there's distance involved there. And then beginning and ending is time based, and so he's letting he's letting his people know I have preeminence in all of these areas. That's good. And then the times, the boundaries, the habitations. God is dealing with space time. Mm-hmm. The stuff Einstein was dealing with, the space time continuum. And I'm fascinated by that because <clears throat> I remember reading one time in the book of Daniel where um, the angel breaks through as Daniel is praying. And Daniel's been praying, I think it was 21 days. He'd been praying. And when the angel comes, he says, The prince of Persia withstood me. And so when I, when I was younger and I would read the Bible, I, I got this image of of Gabriel fighting with the prince of Persia. The prince of Persia is too tough for him. <laughs> so it's like the old tag team, you know, and he, he tags hands with Michael and Michael comes and gets the prince of Persia in a, in a figure four leg lock. <laughs> Throws him off the ropes, hits him with a chair, you know, whatever, whatever spiritual warfare was going on to, to help Gabriel get through it. Finally, they break through and they get to Daniel. You know, I always thought of it that way. <clears throat> but, but if you remember what the, what Gabriel said, he said, the prince of Persia withstood me. Daniel was in Persia. That was the time in Nebuchadnezzar's image. They had come through Babylon, the head of gold. They were now in the chest of silver, which is Persia, media Persia. Mm-hmm. And as he and he tells Daniel what's going to happen, he, he preps him for what his life is going to be. And then he says, I go because the prince of Grecia cometh. Mm-hmm. Well, history says that wasn't for another more than a century later. Right. If not a couple centuries later, I can't remember the exact time span. The angel was going to deal. He, and he was saying he's coming. So this is a time-based thing. Now, Daniel, you're in time. This isn't going to happen for over a century or, or two, but I'm going because he's coming. Heaven is mobilizing because the gospel is prepping to be preached in all the world. God was dealing in space and time. So space, that's Persia, that's Greece. Then it would become, uh, it would become uh, Rome. It would become the feet of iron and clay mixed, the kingdoms of this world. It would then go into all the world. Mm-hmm. That's space, and and it's coming. So time is involved there. God was dealing with space time back with Daniel, and He was walking out those kingdoms and their times on the earth. This is our time on the earth. Yep. And God's still dealing with space time. And, and when it's all said and done, um, I think we're going to be astounded to find that God has been working it this way all along. We are a part of that purpose. And um, I, I'm amazed watching it all unfold. Yeah, and, and in keeping with that idea is what space I'm given at this time. You know, there's there's the idea that the whole urban theology thing pushes some people back, feel like, well, I don't pastor in an urban community. Uh, are you saying I can't have revival? No, if we learn anything during COVID, mm. we learn that the world is connected, rural and urban. And what are we seeing? We're seeing a moving of people that have left 
urban zones and are bringing urban issues to the rural community. It's true. So you're seeing the the growth of the rural community, uh, but they're going to have the same problems, just with more acreage, right? <laughs> <laughs> and and so we're seeing we're seeing that that we're all connected. So when we talk about urban theology, that God is at work in the city, that doesn't mean that he's not working in the rural community. It just means that we're now connected in ways we've never been connected before. And so when we when we service our, our, our focus mission in an urban area, it's going to impact the rural area. Or when you focus revival in a rural area, it's going to have an impact in the city because Facebook, Instagram, social media, network. I mean, the world is so connected and the same issues. And we're watching, again, one of the signs of the end time, they're going to be going to and fro the earth. Well, mm-hmm. the world's moving right now. And so whether you are a rural, rural pastor, look for those opportunities. And in transition, the world's new. Like one of the things I've talked to my church about and I don't want to get off on this, but uh, I know we're looking at, as Americans, we've got these ideas of, of, uh, of borders and, and all of this social, uh, national security. And I understand what happens with all of these folks that are coming new to America mm-hmm. from, let's say, Afghanistan, okay? Sacramento County has more Afghanis in our county than any other county in the United States. So many of them are coming to Sacramento because of, of family connections, so on and so forth. What I talk to my church about is, is let's don't miss this time in our space. I haven't worded it that way, but that's, it fits with what you're saying is we're in, we're in this space called Sac County. There's going to be these people coming. So think for a moment, Brother Hershon. You've got a guy that has been raised in Afghanistan with all of the issues that have been there, where it's been Islam, it's been war, it's been military, it's been dogma. He drops into free America, Sacramento. Everything is new. Is there fallow ground that is broken open for some seed of the gospel to be planted in a way that he never had an opportunity. But through all of the stuff, if God is saying that I know the times and the habitation, the bounds of there, I know the city limits and when they're going to be there. I've determined it. I preset it. And they show up in my community. What if I got a chance while they're open? We could have a worldwide revival if we start looking for that new arrival, uh, a new arrival in the community. So the mission field comes to you. Absolutely. Well, we've seen examples of this. We've seen this in La Grande, Oregon with the Marshallese. Incredible example. Which they're starting churches in the Marshallese churches in the South. Yeah. That, that Marshallese church in Arkansas. Yeah, I think it's the biggest Marshallese church in the world in Arkansas. <laughs> You talk about God doing God, a new thing. God and Tyson chicken. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, my goodness, it's here. And for people, I pray that people wake up to that fact um, because we can't keep up with it. Just with 
uh, our church broadcasting online and here on the Biblos Network. Um, right now, there is a, uh, a friend of mine. He is a Catholic priest. He doesn't want to be named, but he is wanting to exit Catholicism. And he watches the Biblos Network. He watches our Bible studies, and God is ministering to him. By the way, if you're if you're listening to this friend, I'm love you, and I'm praying for you, and 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 God's going to do it. We're praying with you here at Biblos and here at FBC. Those kinds of stories, as we get the gospel out, they're hearing the gospel articulated. It is having an effect on them. It is helping them to push back darkness and denominalism, and 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 come into truth. So, it's unprecedented. Mm-hmm. The, the electronic medium we have to reach to them, the internet is so pervasive now. It's on everybody's cell phones. And if the devil can use it for corruption, you better believe we can use it for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, so the world is here. Yeah, I'm not, like Brother Barry Sutton says, I, I have no sad stories to tell. <laughs> this is a great time to be living for God. Um, so you not only have mission at your core, but you also are a firm believer in education and education has a missional side to it. Mm-hmm. Um, working with and, and being a part of the whole Wilson university ecosystem, you have seen, um, inroads into foreign lands and people from other cultures. I know you have people from Liberia, mm-hmm. you have people from every walk of life that you deal with that, that education coupled with obviously the gospel of Jesus Christ, all these vehicles that you're utilizing, you guys are cutting edge on that. You, you are visionaries, uh, Bishop Wilson and, and the people that are there that come from Elk Grove are influenced by Elk Grove. They're pushing education. They're pushing entrepreneurship, businesses, mission. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, obviously we're, we're fulfilling the great commission, but it's being done in a very cutting edge way that is very attractive in this day we live in. Yeah, I think I think education is huge. I think it represents an opportunity. I, I understand that you can get so knowledgeable, ever ever seeking more knowledge, and you distance yourself from faith. We see that all the time, and we see we see the plight of liberalism in our educational system. But one thing, the the, the answer to heresy is truth. Truth is not afraid of heresy. It confronts it. So I think education is so key, especially from an apostolic, unadulterated apostolic, truth preaching, truth claiming and clutching education uh, that allows for the moving of the Spirit. I mean, we I, I don't know where it came from. Maybe it was because we were always the folks on the other side of the tracks while the big cathedrals look down on the little Pentecostals. But I think that is changing. But I believe I, I, I don't I don't I don't hold to the idea that that all of our biblical model were uneducated. No. I mean Paul sat at the foot of Gamaliel. Luke the beloved physician. Okay. I mean the list goes on. These guys, what do you call three and a half years with Jesus? That's like a master's degree. The greatest education the world would ever Unbelievable. Ever know. So it's an intern program. You're sitting at the feet years. of God. Yeah. So this is, and when the Bible says they were, they were unlearned, 
it was saying that these guys had not gone to the school of the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. Yeah, the rabbinical. These were not idiots. These were not ignorant men, right? So I think that education, yeah, it's got to be the right education. But I think we have an opportunity to really, through social media, opportunity for learning. We are we have right now a team uh, uh and through Wilson International, which is another arm of Wilson University uh, on a on a theologically accredited side that is able to operate without uh, l- the limitations of accreditation in the United States. Wilson International, we have classes going right now in Kenya that are unbelievable how men and women are being trained through s- the social media uh, access, uh, and that is growing, soon to be starting in, in Mexico and Central America. And... This is a time when we need to we need to take advantage of these tools. I mean, we're we're here sharing right now, and it's going to go. This is a we didn't have this in the eighties. No, we didn't have this in the nineties. No, it's unprecedented. Um, you know, we just started a church in Kenya. Really, where at? Um, I don't know. I don't know the name of the village, but we got them connected to Bishop Aston's people. Okay, and they sent over a preacher, yeah. and um, Sister Lucy and I in our church. She has family over there. She's from Kenya. Wonderful. So um, uh, that was last month. Very cool. So we, you know, we put pictures up on the screen, and, and they had their first church service. They had like 40 people there in the service. To watch that, she goes on vacation. She told me before she left, she said, I'm going to start a church in my village. And I'm <laughs> just, oh, sure, why not? I mean, vacation, start a church while you're there. And she did. Yeah. And she comes back with the with the pictures and video of her baptizing half her village in Jesus' name. Unbelievable. That, that's a book of Acts chapter 8 yeah. miracle. Yeah. So you can't keep up with it. We, we, we have a, a significant uh, ministry into the Asian community, Mandarin services, and through our social media, we baptized, I baptized a preacher in China. I didn't go to China. But over Zoom, during COVID, they set up cameras, went into uh, a big apartment that had a big hot tub. Yeah. And so we had another individual take the preacher. He got in the—it became the baptistry. Yeah. And they turned the volume up on the speaker, and I instructed (laughs) them, and I said, we now baptize you in the name of Jesus. It went through an interpreter. They baptized him— he came out of the water. He then, in turn, baptized the person that baptized him. That is amazing. And he said it. Yeah. And so uh, that's been working. You know, th- I mean, wh- how would we have done that 20 years ago? Couldn't. The Bible says um, that name that was pronounced over you or was invoked upon you, Acts 22, um, in the book of James, that worthy name by which you are called, that's an invocation. You invoked it. Mm-hmm. It was digital, yeah. But we know that the presence of God is not bound by geography any longer. Yeah. God is a spirit, mm-hmm. and so there you are. The name of Jesus is invoked over him. He's immersed in water. That's baptism in Jesus' name. Absolutely. When could we have done that without <laughs> these tools? Well, if the apostles could turn the world upside down, what 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 should we be doing? And my goodness, we know what Paul did with a boat <clears throat> and a pen. What would Paul have done with airplanes and the internet? Okay, so here's something. I wonder <laughs> if people know. You mentioned the name Gamaliel. 
Okay, do you know what Gamaliel means etymologically? No. It means the camel of God. Okay. The Gamel L. The camel of God. Gamel is camel. And you know, the camel the camel is a is a archetype of trade, of commerce. It was a it was the semi truck. It was the airplane yeah. of that day. Yeah. Um the boat was probably the airplane, but it would be it yeah. was a it was synonymous with business. And so it's a, it's an image of crisscrossing the world. This is the medium by which it's going to happen. It was the beast of burden. And so whenever you see those camels, there's a lot of theology, surprisingly, that surrounds camels. Um, when Paul sits at the feet of that, I do, of Gamaliel, I don't think it's an accident that he then begins to traverse the globe that that in that is like this little nugget of information that that God is going to be mobile in the going you're going to see this happen yeah th- this this brings up a very a very interesting thing is that God is more intentional about this than we than we think of for instance i'll give you two quick examples we have the first problem in the new testament church is the widow issue they're not being taken care of because of the uh, prejudicial issues that are there. If you study the names of what we call the deacons, Stephen, all of those those seven men that were chosen, mm-hmm. full of the Holy Ghost, full of wisdom, every one of them was from a bicultural background. Oh, wow. And those men were not randomly chosen. Those men were specifically chosen to handle cross-cultural issues, okay? So here they are, Greek, Hebrew, yeah. widows, they're ministering to them. Yes, and so these these people are chosen because you know how to deal with this culture, okay? You were with us in Turkey. You remember us talking about this, finding certain disciples. Paul had grown up in a bicultural world. Paul was not, Saul of Tarsus was not just some random dude that gets the Holy Ghost and, oh, well, here's an opportunity to go over there. He spoke the language. He knew the culture. He becomes a light to the Gentiles. Look at his mission journeys. He's going to the places, especially early on, he knew very well from the tent-making business where his father had raised them. That's fascinating. And so we need to begin to think intentionally intentionally what is god bringing in our churches who are we connected to what role could they play in these missional moments as god is bringing people together wow wow (laughs) well there's no doubt that that is something we're contending for we're pushing for in, in doing it, you're fulfilling the Great Commission, but you are also becoming yourself. Our forefathers did it. Um, we are doing it. I pray that my children will follow suit. I pray that God will use them uh, in that same capacity. Um, but but there's just no telling. And, and eternity is going to show uh, the the things that are going to be accomplished in the next few years. We're living in a, at a, at a, in a pivotal time, a pivotal moment. This is our time. This is our place.
Mm-hmm. Um, I want, I want, I want to maximize that. You, you said tonight in service uh, when you preached, you said you don't want to talk good about people when they're gone. Yeah. You wanna, you wanna do it right now. I want to know the hour I'm living in. I don't want to get there one day and talk about the good old days and reminisce and live in the past. Yeah. I want to celebrate the good old days right now. We're in them. You know, so you mentioned the time when you were in Santee. I can point to my time in Fort Myers and Roatan. They were actually some of the hardest times of my life. Yeah. The mission is not easy. All hell comes against you. Uh, the world, flesh. You're fighting through false doctrine. You're fighting through denominalism. You're, you're just fighting through life. Life is tough. And to found a church, to pull a church out, to preach the gospel, to develop a people, to bring them to where they are sons and daughters of God and fulfill the Missio Dei, the, the mission of God. <clears throat> All of that is one of the hardest things a person will ever do. But later on, when you look back on it, you think to yourself, but those are good days. Yeah. Those are the best of times. And I want to find a way to celebrate that right now. Even in the middle of the struggle, in the middle of the chaos, I want to smile. I want to know, yeah. this is it. We're in it. This is, this, this is the time we're going to write about. This is the time we're going to celebrate about. They're going to herald it later on. You know, you can make the point, Andrew Urshan, N.A. Urshan, Curtis Young, um, your grandfather, was it William Curtis Young? Yeah. They didn't know they were pioneering and breaking ground to the degree. I mean, it's not like they woke up one day and said, you know, I think I'll be a pioneer today. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people don't go out. You know, I think I'm going to be great today. Yeah. I think I'll just go ahead and be a founder in Pentecost. But what do you say? How about you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, people aren't thinking that. They yeah. just do that as they're going. Mm-hmm. And at 20 years down the road, like right now, when I look at Fort Myers and I see Pastor Randy Williams doing the work he's doing, I look back, I look at that and I'm like, that's astounding. Yeah, It's a revival church. It's wonderful. I see the work of David Sennett in Haiti. Um, and there's other churches that have come out of that. And I think to myself, I had no clue that that would ever happen. How much do we miss because we don't go? I preached a message here in Durham a few weeks ago where David fought battles and won, and he would go and inquire of the Lord. God would give him direction. Go here. Yes, the Lord will give it to you. The Lord will deliver them into your hand. Yes, go up, go up. The Lord will deliver. And then God said, do not go up, but go down by the mulberry trees. And he said, when you hear the sound of a going in the tops of the mulberry trees. And when I read what that a going meant, and that's what I preached on was the sound of a going it was the sound of the heavenly host marching through the trees. Okay, so the heavenly host, they were there. They were there. And when the going started. Mm-hmm. So here's a, here's a passage <clears throat> that is so cool. Genesis 2 and 1. The heavens and the earth were complete. And the host of them. Mm. The word is tasaba which means a mass or a group, a campaign of, of beings organized, the heavenly host. So it's not beyond reality that when the heavens and the earth were complete, 
God's word says, and the host of them. Is it possible that when God created the earth, this is the same God that is organizing space and time, Mm -hmm. the bounds of their habitation, is the host in particular places awaiting the going? Mm. That when a believer shows up into, for instance, one of the things I would love your listeners and viewers to get a burden for is the country of Albania. It's the only country in the world that we do not know of one apostolic Jesus name believer in the country. Wow. I don't know of one. I've reached out to a number of organizations. My own brother-in-law is Albanian. We know Albanians out of the country. We know no one inside. Okay. What happens? What happens if a believer moves into that what, on a vacation? What heavenly host starts to? What what, what host has been waiting since mm. the heavens and the earth were complete mm. that is waiting at attention until a man of God or a woman of God or a group of of people show up? Wow. Are they not ministering spirits? Could things begin to work? I fully believe the conversation with Fidel Ponce in a cab drive. God saw that. God knew he put me in taxi cab 314. Not just for Fidel Ponce, but for Michael and yes. Elena and the church in the subsequent work. Yeah. God was working all things. There's not a doubt in my mind that the Saba, the heavenly host, was on that island before I ever got there. Mm. And when I arrived, it was like, they're here. Here we go. Here we go. Wow. I know that there's a correlation between the two. I actually believe that our worship, what we call rejoicing, is an echo of that original host. Unpack that. So... To rejoice means to joy again. Mm-hmm. So, in that it's again, it's been doing. It's, you're doing it again. There was a an, an original joy from which that springs, and we find it in the Book of Job, when the Bible says that the morning stars sang, and the sons of God shouted for joy mm-hmm. over the creative works of God's hands. Yeah. So when God created the host began to re- they they began the to shout for joy that's what the scripture tells us and i think that later when we encounter the works of god's hand and his majesty and his glory we then shout in acclamation and giving glory to him all creation declares his glory but it is a echo restoration of joy of that original joy so the joy that they discovered then, we discover now, and we echo it. We 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 lend our voice to the heavenly chorus, and in in that it's an echo of that original joy. It is a rejoicing. Um, so the host in heaven and the people on earth. What we're talking about is on earth as it is in heaven. God let David hear the boots of heaven's army or the sandals of heaven's army walk through the trees, and he was saying, this is where I'm going. If you'll follow me, you'll win. And he let him hear the sound of the going. You know, did it clank? Did it, did it, was it, was it in unison? Was, was it, 
was that somehow he could let him audibly hear for a moment, heaven's marching this way. Ari Prado one time preached a message and the message, it, it was so powerful. I can't tell you all the details, but I can tell you the one thing that really hit me. The message title was where he goes, when I go. And he, one statement he made in there was, you know, you may be dealing with, with a drug addicted family member that you can't do anything with. They won't listen to you. They don't respect you. You can't save them. You love them. You'd give your life for them, but there's nothing you've done everything and, and you can't get to them. But you go out and when you save the other dra- drug addict, when you save that drug addict, God will save your drug addict mm-hmm. where he goes, when I go. So there's something in the going that the heavenly host mobilizes. There's you're tapping into something. I had a, I had a, probably the most supernatural event outside of the Holy Ghost uh, in my own life. A number of years ago, I was asked to do lead the worship at a, a at a meeting uh, with Brother Mark Morgan in San Diego. I was there at the time and led the worship. It was at Pastor Steve Buxton's church. Brother Morgan had finished preaching, and it was one of those gully washers where just people fell on their face worshiping and and I was in charge of the music and the worship and it was so deep I looked at the band and like no we don't need anything let's just let's just go in I turned around and I just fell across a chair on the platform in the old hilltop tabernacle not where they are now the church before and as I as I fell across the the chair just crying and praying all of a sudden music started playing and I'm the guy in charge and I had just given instructions a few moments before we don't need any music let's just let's just worship let's let this happen organically and so I I kind of set up to like I thought the sound man had turned a, a soundtrack or something on and I was like going like stop and when I when I when I raised up there was no one at the sound booth and the music stopped and I was like that was weird. Am I hearing something? I turned around and just began to pray. And and it was just, it was so deep. I was just, I got back into it again. And, and just the wail of people worshiping. And all of a sudden, this music started again. And it was like this symphony. And I'm like, who is playing with the music? And I, I, I stood up to look and it stopped. There's no one there. And then I got this eerie feeling like something's going on. Mm. And I, I started getting cold chills and I just start I, I started praying. And all of a sudden I was now realizing something different is happening. And it was like God said, You're hearing what worship sounds like as it ascends into the heavenly. Wow. And I laid across that chair. I just began to weep. And I cannot describe the music. I've never heard it again, never heard it before. It was music on a dimension I've never experienced in my life. And when it lifted, it was gone. And there was no music. No one had ever played anything. It was the most unbelievable moment of worship I've ever experienced in my life. And all I know is there's a dimension up above our head. Yeah, There's a realm of the Spirit that where that heavenly host is, where that rejoicing you called it the heavenly chorus. I don't know what that is, but I got a little taste of it one night in about 1995. Wow. I'm going to hear it again, hmm. maybe on the other side of glory. Yeah. 
but it was a magnificence I can't even describe. When we get in tune with that, I can feel it here in Durham. I'm sure you can feel it there in Elk Grove where you are, where you're at. And there's churches that are tapping into this. The religious world, the denominal world, cannot understand why we insist on our lifestyle, why we insist on our evangelism methods, why we insist on our style of worship. But there is a, an in-sync dynamic with when you put those things together, heaven mobilizes. Mm-hmm. And an orchestra, a symphony, being in sync, being in tune, walking in the spirit. I plan on hearing that again too. Yeah. I want to hear it. Absolutely. I think a person's life can can be lived in such a way where harmonious, I guess, would be one word for it. Well, it's time to do it. I'm excited about it. I'm excited about what's happening with with your church, with the missional projects that I mean, you're you're involved in Fiji, you're involved in Central America, Roatan, and, and now you're moving into Tegucigalpa. Yeah, crazy things, brother Joe. <clears throat> God's just opened up. It's kind of crazy. His first first foray into Tegucigalpa, they wind up winning, a, baptizing a taxi taxi cab driver. Just <laughs> unbelievable. You talk about going. <laughs> I I didn't know that. I didn't realize yeah. that. But the Jones had done that. Yeah, what happened, they they felt, he and his wife had been feeling God stirring something up, some connections in the church. And we were at the peak conference. Brother Mark Dross had come uh, to be with us. And we stayed up till about 3 in the morning with Mark Dross and Stephen and I. And, man, we were talking tongues. The Holy Ghost just hit where we were. And he told he, Brother Dross, uh, looked at Stephen and said, get ready. There's a dam about to break. God's going to open up a door on the mainland. And just, it's been probably three weeks ago, he took a team over to Tegucigalpa and hired a driver to carry them around, He, Michael and Elena and Pastor. And they went around uh, praying, looking, and before it was over, the guy that was driving their vehicle, they taught a Bible study too, and he was baptized in Jesus' name, and they're beginning the work with him there. Well, that is the heavenly host in motion. <laughs> I love it. Well, man, thank you for coming on Biblos today. Man, I've enjoyed it. I'm praying for you and the work that's going on uh, underneath your ministry and that of Bishop Wilson, and it's going to be your children and now grandchildren. Yeah, here we go. Here we go. We're glad to have you in Durham. I'm. I, we had great services. We look forward to having you back again. So East Coast coming up. It's coming up. That's right. October 27, 28, 29. That's English East Coast. Um, then the 29th and 30th, you're looking at Spanish East Coast. So put it on your calendar. It's going to be a great time of fellowship. Brother Young's going to be there. Many great preachers are going to be there and family. So we want you and your family to come and join us. It's great having you on with us, and and we're going to be praying for you. Love you. Thank you. Love you, man. And God bless you. We'll see you next time.